Thank you, and good morning. A bit belated, but a very happy new year to you all. And uh, before Christmas, just before the uh, autumn term finished, I was down in your sister church um, in Birmingham, Kings, and uh, an excellent Sunday morning there. Talking with Steve, it's fascinating to feel what's happening in the two churches. because there's been a developed understanding of, a, of an open context of worship here and uh, a congregation that doesn't abuse the freedom that's given to it to be a priesthood of all believers as we've had again this morning people taking part not just a, a pulpit led service with no one taking part uh, Steve's observation is that all the people that went out of this fellowship uh, into Birmingham know what that's about but the people coming in from other churches or coming to faith in that fellowship need to see an environment where that is practiced more. So why am I saying that? I'm saying that so that you don't neglect what is a precious thing where a community of believing people worship together and listen together with the voice of God and, and everyone has a right to, com- to take part and communicate. And if you don't keep putting wood on that fire, it will go out. So, praise the Lord, yeah. My prayer for you this year has been that you will have the most amazing harvest that this church has ever known in 2018. I brought some books and they're not for sale. Well, the, the little bit in the end on the cardboard boxes, but I brought a, a lot of the books. We've had some thousands of books <coughs> sitting in my son and son-in-law and daughter's office and uh, we felt a little while ago we should give some away so we're aiming to give just over 4,000 books away and uh, in the last few weeks I've given over 3,000 books away so and it's a great feeling. Um, my nine-year-old, he's, he's 10 now but he was nine, he was carrying some books from the car and he said what's this all about Papa? I said we're giving, we're giving some of the books that I've written away he's, and his words were Papa that's really good people need to hear the word of the Lord. I didn't think that was bad for nine years of age. <laughs> so there, the only thing I ask you is not to be greedy because there are other people coming in another congregation. Um, and if you're going to take them, read them. And if you read them and want to keep them as a reference, great. And if you don't want to keep them as a reference, pass them on for somebody else to read them, yeah? That's all I ask. Yes? There's one there, the black covered one in the middle is about a ten books written by a friend of mine called... Uh, Van Shaw from Australia. He tells something of his own story out of a very broken and addictive, addicted, addicted life. Those of you who've heard me speak in leadership have heard me mention him. Um, and I had a few of those, so that's there. Those of you who've been in this church for a little while, I published a book at the beginning, you know, Christmas time, not this Christmas, Christmas before, and a lot of you had them, I think. But that's, that's the only one that's for sale on this, this end here, a verse to live by. Um, that's five pounds. Now let's turn to the scriptures. Lord, open our ears that we might hear and open our hearts that we might receive the truth of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
How many in the room can remember any time in your life when someone said to you, look at me when I speak to you? We live in a PC generation, so it probably doesn't happen as much. But when I grew up, it happened quite often. It happened at school, and it happened at home. What is the point behind it? Well, of course, in polite society, if people speak to you, it's a good idea to look at them. That sense of engagement is important. But the real issue, when we are being spoken to like that, particularly when we're younger, but many of us need to hear it as we're older, is it's about paying attention. I have a, an, an amazing ability. I, I can be in a room and, and all sorts of things can be going on and I'm in my own little world. I went for an audio test some, some years ago and <clears throat> the specialist said, yeah, you've got, you've got hearing loss. You've lost the higher registers. That means I don't hear the voices of women. Now, that's very sexist, isn't it? <laughs> What, what we're saying here, we're, we're saying that the ability to pay attention is an important thing in every aspect of life. And as Christians, <coughs> we need to continue to remind ourselves of some important principles. Now, we're going to read a few verses. We'll put them on the screen in a moment from the last chapter of John, John's Gospel. But let me just... Say one or two things as a preamble. Most of us understand if we read the Bible that there's power in our words. They can either speak life or death. The power of life and death is in the tongue, is what the Bible actually says. We understand most of us, as we grow older, can remember some of those damaging words that were said to us when we were young friend of mine eventually ended up preaching in the Royal Albert Hall one Easter Monday was told when he was eight Houston you'll never make anything it took him a long long time to recover from it we understand the power of words for positive and for negative and then as Christians when we come to the scriptures we understand something even more profound that everything exists in this world. Our, our philosophy of beginnings and of redemption, the coming of God into our world, how the whole thing exists, read the beginning of Colossians. The whole of creation exists because God spoke. Yes? So then we have a brand of Christianity that wants us to, to, to concentrate absolutely on the Word of God. It's absolutely fundamental. And we have another brand of Christianity that wants us to concentrate on the work of the Spirit of God. And that's absolutely fundamental. So we say, well, which one of these shall we choose? Well, let's choose them both. It's not an either-or, it's an and. Because everything in creation comes about because God spoke and the Spirit moved. That's the story of creation. That's the story of it being upheld by the word of His power, the Colossians type of language. The coming of God into this world, the Son of God, the man of men, I read this week. I've never read that before. He came as the Son of God and the man of men. How did that happen? Because the Spirit overshadowed a virgin 
and the, and the word of God was planted inside the womb of a woman. Really, really powerful. So the incarnation is a word and spirit activity. How were each of us born again? He said we weren't born again by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, breathed on by the spirit, brings the DNA and nature of God in a defined and powerful way within each one of us. Wow. That's easy to say, but it's a lifetime to take hold of it. So on the 31st of December, my wife wasn't feeling great. I read the Bible through the year, as some of you have heard me say before. I read the last two chapters of Malachi. I read Ezekiel in November. It's not the easiest book in the world to read in November. But I read it every year. You say, well, get a different habit. I don't want to at the moment. I read other things in the scriptures, but it's a basic pattern for me to read through the, the Bible in a year. Why do I maintain that discipline? Because on the 1st of January, I read Genesis 1 and 2. And you go, well, you've read that before. Yeah, I have many, many, many times. I've, I've been through this many, many times. And I want to remind us all, when we grasp the power of the Word of God in its creative instincts, we will pay more attention to it. Look at me while I'm speaking to you. When you have the chance to open the Bible, as I did at about 6.45 this morning, and read my daily portion, I want to be fully present and listening because God has the power to interrupt my life in such a way with creative dynamic that nothing will ever be the same again. On any day. And on every day if necessary. And on those days when it feels like you're reading Enid Blyton and nothing much is going off, you just read it anyway. Because you have no idea what God is doing. Because if you hide it in your heart, it's keeping you from sin without you even realizing it. So at the beginning of a year, I'm, I'm encouraging you to live in the fullness. Many people uh, around me in the congregation as we worship, we prayed very briefly in the back room because I wasn't here at 8.30. So they prayed longer. I prayed shorter. We're speaking in tongues. You go in many churches, you never hear anybody speaking in tongues. In Pentecostal, spirit-filled congregations. So I'm just urging you all to live, be being filled with the Spirit and be attentive to the Word of God for you have no idea what creative power it will release in our lives. Amen? Amen. Read this week in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 4, lay hold of my words. It says other things in those couple of verses. So let, let's, uh, let's read these few verses from the last chapter of John. And I'm conscious of where we are with the clock. We're reading what this Bible, the NIV, calls Jesus reinstates Peter. Whether that's the real point of the message, I'm not sure, but that's what it says. Verse 15. I think we might get that. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will be stretched. You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Verse 21. When Peter saw him, he asked, this is, he saw John following. He said, Lord, what about him? I, I like that, don't you? <laughs> Just brings that bit of humanity to it all. It's, it's a bit of a high-powered story. And then, hey, Lord, this is all coming at me. What about him? <laughs> Good. Okay. So if you've got a Bible, or have a think about it, I'll say it for a tape's sake. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 10, verse 12, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, into 18, and verse 19. In one way or another, the Bible says Jesus said. And I'm encouraging you to pay attention. I've got a Bible here that has the words of Jesus in red, so it makes it pretty easy through the Gospels and into the rest of the New Testament to pick out the actual words of Jesus. Because if we believe in the power of the word and the spirit, then the words of Jesus, as the opening verse of the book that we've just read, the last chapter of, part of, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what is Jesus actually doing and saying here? This is a, it's a really powerful context that these words come in, if you cast your eye and your mind back. The opening of this chapter is about the disciples being out on the lake fishing. Rewind the clock three and a half years. We've been here before. This is where the story all began for them. On the side of this lake, we have no idea how long Jesus had been looking at them. But several of these men, there were seven of them in the boat, of the 11 that still remained. Several of them heard him call them to follow him and leave their nets. In, in this little book, I, I wrote about Jesus on the, on the lakeside and I, and I reread a moment of it yesterday. We read the final lakeside story. Now death is past and salvation has been paid for. Jesus is raised from the dead and living in the power of an endless life. His mission is complete. His work finished. By contrast, his disciples are a sorry bunch. Christ's stellar triumph is matched by their miserable defeat. They have met and been with the risen Lord on a number of occasions, but all is not well with them. Peter announces, I'm going out to fish. Some people want to say that he was renouncing his ministry and was going back to make a career of it. 
I don't actually think that's the truth of it. They were sad. They were disappointed with themselves. We don't like using the word depressed, but they probably were depressed. Remember our first story by the lake when he called them? They left their nets and followed. Now Jesus is dead and seven of the remaining eleven are back in the boat. In the days surrounding the crucifixion, Peter had a spectacular failure. But all of them had denied and deserted Jesus. It was not their finest hour. The men fished all night but caught nothing and felt no better. Then in the early morning light, Jesus, who they did not yet recognize, gives them advice on how to catch fish. What an irony. They haul in 153 big ones and John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter dives into the water, reaches the shore first, the others follow, and soon see a fire with some food. Jesus invites them to share his barbecue breakfast. He already had some of his own fish cooking. I don't know where he went to buy it or whether he just created it. I don't know. And there's an old preacher, I've said this before here, I think, an old preacher said in my father's hearing in the Welsh Valleys, Jesus was so powerful, he said to the, the fish were saying to him, we've done this side, shall we turn over? <laughs> over breakfast, and most of the commentators you'll read would suggest to you that it was a quite silent breakfast. There are no words recorded of communications over the breakfast. You've got one utterly triumphant person and some other people who were grappling with every form of emotion known to man. And could, they were pinching themselves that they were with him and it just went on and on and on. There'd be many words, many reasons why there were not many words. But over breakfast, Jesus' victory meets their defeat, his faithfulness, their desertion, his love offers them all acceptance. It's an amazing picture, the creator and savior of the world cooking breakfast for his failed disciples. What love is this? The one who had called, helped, challenged, and involved them now takes Peter for a walk along the shore and reinstates his calling. Peter and the others went on to turn the world upside down. So here on the beach, after the breakfast is over, Jesus keeps speaking. You see, if we stand back from the immediacy of the story, which is very graphic, it's three and a half years, and it's the same picture. They hadn't had breakfast three and a half years ago. We don't read. But the nets are there. The boats are pulled up. The fish are there. And Jesus is inviting them yet again to follow him. What, what is it that he's wanting us to understand? I think he's keen for us to know for ourselves and respond to the, the challenges and the questions and the instructions that he gives us. Who, who do we love? What are the most important emotional connections in our life? And how do we love in the context of career and how we spend our time? And feed my sheep, feed my lambs. 
And why do we love? What is it is the ultimate motivating principles, the guiding stars in a very, very secular world that you've all been educated in, all those of you who are younger, and that has a generation, some of them called snowflakes, I understand now, the next generation, that doesn't understand anything about boundaries or a structure of life. It just all has to happen. Jesus is asking us to pay attention to what philosophy of life guides our decision-making. You say, how do you get that out of that? Well, I do. Simon, son of John, there's an interesting thing. He renamed him Peter. He loves him enough. Great prayer. He loves him enough to take him right back to who he was as a man. Jesus isn't saying, I love you. He's just showing it. Do you love me more than these? Now, huge conversation. Some of you love to study there are lots of views about what these are. And I came to a conclusion many, many years ago. People used to want to talk about the nets and the fishing. Do you love this life more than... Others want to say to us that... Uh, do you love me more than you love these guys? This sense of camaraderie and community. You know, the band of brothers and that sort of stuff. When people have done life together, they make very strong connections. Do you love me more than these? A third group would want to say, actually, Jesus is challenging them, not about the nets, not about the camaraderie, but he's challenging Peter to get beyond his historic view. Even if they deny you, I won't. That comparison, I'm doing better than them. So do you love me more than these love me? That was a bit of a baited question. Is he going to respond the way he used to respond? Or has he been enough to the cross to understand something different is happening here? So, in all the emotions of our lives, and of course this story unfolds, there is no definitive view as to what these things are. Uh, you can't make a clear statement from the study of the original language. So probably some of all of what I've just said is true. For Peter, the important thing was to get his priorities right. Do you love me more than whatever else there is to love? And that's the same message for us. People in this room have been Christ followers for many, many years. For me, I have my 75th birthday this year, so that will be 65 years as a Christian. And this message applies to me as much as it does to someone who is waiting to be baptized and come to Christ in the last three months. Do you love me, Jesus is asking us. Pay attention. Look at me when I'm speaking to you. This is the person who took our place on the cross. Do you love me more than anything else? Because if we can capture the right priorities of our love, much else will fall into place in our lives. Anybody say amen to that? People make a big play that Jesus uses the different heights of language for love. Some of the commentators would want to say that, that in the flow of the original language, that's not the most important. 
issue that, that's at stake here. It is fascinating that Peter, in the third of his answers, was his first answer. Lord, it's always Lord. Hello, it's always Lord. The first time Paul met him, Saul, who are you, Lord? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. You see, the truth is, I sat in a meeting once and someone demanded, these people must honor me. And I stopped the meeting and I said, sorry, you can't ever demand that. These people must love me. It's the same, same thing. You can never demand that. Be, Jesus is not putting a demand on Peter. Do you love me? It's not, it's not a, an aggressive demanding statement. It's a calling forth. It's, it's I love you. I've expressed my love for you. I'm here having done what I've done today and what I've done in the last six weeks. I, I, you know I love you. Do you love me? It's calling forth that response from each of us, which has to be voluntary. Lord, you know it. You know it. <coughs> Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Then in the third time, he says something quite sublime. He's calling him Lord again, but you know all things. So he is fully ascribing to Christ deity. He's saying, this person speaking to me is God. Because you know everything. How many of you know God never takes any risks? He can't. Because he knows the end from the beginning. So get over yourself when you feel you're out there on your own. <laughs> if he's instructed you, it's going to be all right. <laughs> so the question about our love is to help us determine our priorities. The next question we have... It, well, it's not a question. The next Jesus language is, is about more an instruction as against a question. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Now, some people say, well, this is, this is a message for Christian leaders and the necessity for being pastors and taking care of the sheep. No, this is a message for all of us. Whatever we're supposed to do, as I've said hundreds of times over the last 20 years, whether you're paid by the church and you're called a full-time Christian, full-time Christian leader, I, don't, I hate this language, we're all full-time Christians. Wherever you're going to work tomorrow morning, you're a full-time Christian. Yes? The fact that the church get the privilege of paying some people who are released to ministry, that's one thing. And other people get the privilege of paying for you to be a Christ follower. And as a Christ follower, do a better job than everybody else in the place with a better attitude at least. So this is about helping us, an instruction from Jesus, which we could deepen around our care for, for one another. We live in a brutal world that's very self-oriented. And if we're going to be Christ followers, our purpose, not only the context of career, that in itself is important, But our purpose is to love and serve and outwork him in our relationships with all the people around us. And then poor old Peter's getting worn down by all this. It's, he's finding it really hard. 
and as if he hasn't had to deal with enough his own failure and, and Christ's overwhelming love expressed to him in these moments of, of trying to draw him back into a, a place of health you, you know all things Lord you know that I love you then Jesus whew. well I'm just going to tell you one more thing the truth when you were younger, you dressed yourself. Well, we, most people do anyway. We hope so anyway. And you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Part of the Roman crucifixion uh, arrangements were that they would sometimes put the cross piece and tie you to it before you got to the place of crucifixion and you had to carry it. The Bible makes it quite clear. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by Peter, by which Peter would glorify God. Whew. And then he said, are you looking at me? Are you concentrating on what I'm saying, Peter? Follow me. What did that mean? He'd said that three and a half years ago. We'd followed him all the way. Oh, he'd opened his big mouth a few times. He'd He'd learned a lot in the whole journey. He'd had a miserable failure over the last few weeks, but he was still here. He was still receiving the kindness and the love and the grace of God. And now Jesus is saying to him, giving him some really heavy language about probably dying on a cross. Just follow me, Peter. What did I write here as a final statement? The challenge to help us apply our philosophy of life. I read this in this little book that I often read. Some of you know I've read it to you before. Commenting on this scripture, Jesus had a different vision of maturity. It is the ability and willingness to be led where you would rather not go. For this is not, this is not headline, charismatic, jingoistic, tongue-speaking prophecy. God can do anything language. This is a, another part of our spirituality I'm going to express in this last moment or two before I sit down. Immediately after Peter had been commissioned to be a leader of his sheep, Jesus confronts him with the hard truth that the servant leader is the leader who is being led to unknown, even sometimes undesirable and painful places. Henry Nguyen expresses it well. The way of the Christian leader is not the way of upward mobility in which the world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending at the cross. The way up is the way down. The way to live is to die. The way to have is to give. Some people pray, Lord, bless me with everything I need so that I can enjoy life. And God says, I'll give you the enjoyment of life so that you can enjoy everything you have. It's an entirely upside-down way of thinking. Powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life do not refer to people who have no spine and who let everyone make decisions for them. They refer to people who are so deeply in love with Jesus that they are ready to follow him wherever he guides them, always trusting that with him they will find life and find it 
abundantly. Jesus said to him, follow me. Have we got a philosophy in our life that says, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to fight for my position. I'm not always going to be on about me. I'm going to follow him. And his was the path through the cross to a throne of glory. I find this story mesmeric. The whole picture of it on the shore, the fact that Jesus has got it all worked out, the fact that he says these amazing things to Peter. And John, of course, is earwigging, which is why he writes it down, because he's heard what's gone on. And that's why Peter says when Jesus is predicting his death, what about him? No, so not, it's nothing to do with anybody else now in this moment. It's nothing to do with anybody else. He said, we're paying attention to this person who is the word of God, who comes into this early year service to speak to us. I just want you to take a moment, he says, give yourself a little MOT. What's driving the affections, the emotion, the loves of your life. Who and what do you love the most? Is it him? Lord, you, you know that I love you. Find a place to express that to the Lord somewhere today. As he brings you the instructions that if you'll put your life in my hands, he says, I will make it very clear to you what you should be doing. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Go and work in that chemical factory. Go and do this, be whatever. Do th just, just do what I tell you. Just follow my instructions. And your purpose will work out. You say, but I've got, I've got a plan for my career. Lay it on the table and say, Jesus, your Lord. And if this is not your will, I'm going to cut it up. You say, but that's irresponsible for me. I've got to look after myself. No, you haven't. You've got to obey him. And he'll look after yourself. And maybe our final challenge. Ooh, which none of us enjoy. Is to follow him in a place where he becomes so important and strong and central in our lives. That the idea of fighting for ourselves and defending ourselves and looking after our own corner become obnoxious to us. And then, whoever we're with, whatever we're saying, whatever we're doing, if we're following him, people will see him in us. And the longer it goes on, the more of him they'll see in us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You've come by the power of your spirit. Just to underline and illuminate your word into our hearts and lives. And you don't do it to chastise us. You don't do it to in any way try to threaten us or demand from us. You do it because you love us. You absolutely love us. And you've accepted us. We are your children and you've done everything for us that we need to live the sort of life you created us to live.
So we pray that you will help us in the emotions, in the day-to-day of our decision-making and the purposes of our life. And in that ability to follow you even on that downward path which brings exaltation. That we would follow you all the way and that people would see you in us. Can anybody in the room say amen to that prayer? Amen.